0: Welcome to the Ecobot Podcast, where we dive into what matters most for 21st century wetland scientists and continue in our journey in respect to the convergence of technology and wetland science. I'm your host, Jeremy Shavy, and on today's episode, we're talking all about what we are calling the new wetland data ecosystem. This is the ecotone of geospatial data, GIS models, GNSS receivers and field data paired with mapping applications that are the essential interconnection of the 21st century wetlands workflow, creating massive levels of efficiency. As someone who's been in the wetland science field for 18 years, I'm thrilled with the way the technologies in this new ecosystem have made all of our jobs not only easier, but more importantly, more precise and normalized. With my guests today, we're going to talk through different tools and data sets that we as wetland scientists are using every day. We're going to go over the Web Soil Survey, National Wetland Inventory Mapper, TopoView accessing USGS topographic quadrangles, the ArcGIS Living Atlas, EcoBot, the Antecedent Precipitation Tool, and the Hydro Period Tool. Joining me today are Sandra Fox and Bakari Powell from the St. John's River Water Management District, Alan Ingram and Jacqueline Smolik from Spirit Environmental Consulting, and Dean Jorek from ESRI. So we're just going to start off very briefly with some of these top level. Most of you probably already used the Web Soil Survey, so this is more of a touch-in for those of you who haven't. But those of you who are looking for soils data for your projects, specifically your wetland delineations, or doing your due diligence for potential new monitoring sites, the Web Soil Survey is a great place to start. Big green button to get you started. Once you click that button on the Web Soil Survey's homepage, you can insert in your location data or navigate to it. Once you've created or defined an area of interest, then you can pull open all of your soil data. Uh, You can also download the data directly as a shapefile so that you can import that into your GIS software. Typically what I'm doing is importing that into ArcJS Pro. I'm able to overlay that to my projects and then very easily see where my sample points or any of my other data is being collected within. Second one, National Wetlands Inventory Mapper. Uh, We've been having some great conversations with several different organizations, both from the nonprofit side, as well as Fish and Wildlife Service and EPA on methods to help improve this data set in the near future. Pretty excited about where that's going to go. But for those of you who have not used it, the National Wetlands Inventory Mapper, of course, gives you a great project specific information in respect to your wetlands. So once you navigate to this homepage and you put in your location, then you're able to zoom in and actually see where some expected wetland units might be uh, according to Fish and Wildlife Service and to uh, other servers that are using these data sets. As most of you know, these data sets out in the field aren't always completely accurate. Usually they're accurate to a certain extent I've found that majority of the time that there's typically more wetlands on a site than what the uh, NWI mapper will show. And every once in a while, there's less. And then that data can be downloaded uh, on two different scales. You can either download it based on your watershed or based on the state. And then once you have those files imported, then you will be able to clip those down specifically to your project area and potentially even load those up to take you out in the field. All right, so one one other one that I wanna take a quick look at here. I know a few people have different sources for finding historic USGS maps. Most typically I'm using this topo view. And the reason why I like this, again, I can search by location. Once I've located, I can then sort through the records that are pulled up. Most of those maps will give you KMZ, JPEG, or other formats that are actually georeferenced. So again, I can now take those GeoTiffs or PDFs and pull those into uh, ArcGIS, into Pro or Mapper or Online. But now I want to turn it over to Daniel to talk to you about another simplified version of this.
1: Thanks, Jeremy. So for those of you you who don't know, ArcGIS Living Atlas of the World is a collection of of GIS data, uh, maps, apps, and layers, uh, which are all authoritative, curated, and up-to-date. So accessing uh, data through this, you you no longer have to worry about, uh, is this layer uh, updated? Do I need to go and re-download it? You can access it for free through Living Atlas of the World in and bring it into ArcGIS Online, ArcGIS Pro, and ArcMap. The data itself is stored on the cloud, which is great. It allows quick access, and you're able to uh, leverage the power of cloud computing. So, there is a, uh, a ton of data on Living Atlas of the world, and, and basically, folks uh, like USGS or Fish and Wildlife Service they work with ESRI to uh, ensure that the authoritative versions of their data is listed on the Living Atlas. So I I grabbed a couple of example data sets that would be relevant for uh, wetland delineations, Uh, just to kind of give a a quick sample, but this is by no means exhaustive of the uh, data that is available. Uh, The uh, elevation data one thing that's special about that is it's accessed through a raster service, it's an imagery layer. And what that does is it allows you to quickly uh, symbolize that elevation into many different views. So what might have taken if you were doing this locally on the machine, a geoprocessing operation of quite some time. Uh, using the raster service, you can quickly change from slope to an aspect map in a matter of a, a few seconds through the living atlas you can access the usgs three depth data which is a new and growing data set of really high quality uh, elevation that is uh, really really great Uh, another one that as jeremy was discussing the nwi data this is in living atlas and uh, bringing it into your arcgis project is a simple one-click operation A couple other examples, soils is uh, the same thing, a simple one-click. You can bring in your hydrologic group, drainage class, hydric class. You have one map, your project map, and all of these layers can quickly be added. As I mentioned, this is just a small sample of the available data. Some other data sets that are uh, relevant to water or uh, environmental projects uh, would be hydrography, live stream gauges, flood hazard. We have a large collection of green infrastructure data sets, land use, land cover, weather, water quality. These are uh, just a few really compelling data sets that you have quick access to.
0: Great. Thanks, Daniel. And one of the things that I I need to explore around with this a little bit more, so excited to to find out more as we continue together. So just for the sake of time, I'm going to do a very brief intro to ECOBOT for those of you who have not been introduced to ECOBOT yet. Essentially, we are replacing the pen and paper process in a hyper-specific workflow-centric tool that is designed to save time, efficiency, and also really provide a lot of specific lookup tools for the wetland delineation and monitoring for mitigation banking purposes. And so we're very happy to be partnered with ESRI to be able to Create some pretty awesome functionality here and some interrelationship between the softwares from the field to the office. But we want to take a look at a couple of tools that are getting pretty exciting here today. So we're going to go ahead and jump into our first case study here. And our first case study is going to be presented by uh, Alan Ingram from Spirit Environmental in uh, Houston. He's going to be presenting the, uh, the APT tool.
2: So, uh, Alan, I'm going to pass it over to you. All right. Thanks. Well, as Jeremy said, my name is Alan Ingram. I'm with spirit environmental down here in Houston, Texas. Um, I've been with spirit since 2017. I graduated from Stephen F. Austin with a degree in environmental science. Prior to working for spirit, I was in compliance for oil and gas in North Texas. And I've been doing wetland delineations for about two years now. So I'm relatively new to it, relatively speaking, anyhow. At Spirit, we're kind of a full suite environmental firm. We do uh, compliance work and natural and cultural resources. We do delineations, permitting, all types of things. We have a lot of different uh, industries we work for, oil and gas, refining, transportation, things like that. And we've been utilizing EcoBot in correlation with theodolite to collect our data in the field. Uh, it's been saving us a lot of time. And then we also use Trimble handheld units to pick up our data points, which now I guess is probably going to change. <laughs> so uh, anyhow, let's, uh, let's kick off into the uh, antecedent precipitation tool. That's kind of what we're here to talk about. So the antecedent precipitation tool, uh, it's It's brand new uh, this year. It's still in its beta testing form. You can't even get it right now off of the Corps' website. And you kind of use it to simplify your rainfall analysis under the new NWPR, the Navigable Waters Protection Rule. For this particular site, we had 29 acres on Cypress Creek, which is a little creek just north of Houston. We're trying to do our wetland delineations, You know, identify our, our wetlands, our water bodies um, in this area, try to figure out uh, how we're gonna end up mitigating for this project. And so for this, this was our first shot at using the antecedent precipitation tool, trying to determine whether or not our site visit uh, fell into these typical or normal conditions that you would wanna see when you're performing um, these delineations, you kind of want to fall into a certain range between 30 and 70% of normal uh, rainfall when you're doing a site visit. You don't want it to be too wet or too dry because then what you're seeing on the ground uh, may not be um, true for a typical year, which is kind of an important concept under this navigable waters protection rule. They don't want you to be doing your delineations during periods of flooding or periods of big drought, they kind of want it, what you're seeing on the ground to be typical for um, the area that you're doing your delineation. So when you download and open up the APT tool, you kind of get this, that one little uh, bar there and all you do is you enter your lat longs and you run the program. So you download it to your desktop and it's got this web interface kind of where where it's pulling in. This average 30 year uh, rainfall data for the area that you're in based off the coordinates that you give it. Now, that could fall within about a 30 mile radius of your site, but it's pulling a lot of this historical data. You can enter multiple date ranges and it will give you this feedback for those multiple date ranges. And then it shows you what the site was on the day you were there. It tells you if it's wetter or drier than a typical year. So as I was saying before our outcome for this particular project area, based on the data that we got back, that it was a little too wet to really be performing our delineation on that date. We had to go back and do it on another date when we fell into our typical rainfall conditions um, for a typical year. And it kind of helps us to understand um, our hydrologic flows and our surface connections If we do our studies during a typical rainfall time, as opposed to, in Houston especially, it floods a lot. So a lot of times we'll end up with these sites that are just super wet with a lot of standing water, and it's very difficult to understand what it would be like at a typical time of the year. This kind of helps us to determine when we should be out on site. And it gives us just this more robust data to give to the the core of engineers to review. Um, It's a little more efficient than using WETS tables. It's a little easier to digest with the graphic that you get. And it's beneficial to our clients. It saves us time and it saves them time. Saves the core time in reviewing as well. Um, But like I said, this whole APT tool is still in its beta testing form. There's still a few kinks to work out. But overall, it's, it's pretty efficient and, uh, and easy to use.
3: Hey, thanks, Alan. Um, so I'm gonna talk about using the HydroPair tool and Esri, ESRI's Arch Hydro toolbox. So I work for the St. Johns River Water Management District, uh, one of five water management districts in Florida. So I'll give a quick recap of uh, our district's mission and talk about our four core missions. So we work to address water quality issues. We search for different techniques to provide flood protection. We protect natural systems. Um, We also work with other districts, governments, and stakeholders to address water supply on a regional basis. And today we're going to be focusing on natural systems and water supply and how the district we set minimum flows and levels for lakes to ensure that water use does not cause great harm um, to the important Florida uh, natural resources. So the initial management problem and the driver behind the period tool is this question. So will changes in hydrology have a negative impact on wetlands? So at the district, um, we have applied the hydro period tool to a variety of different wetland based projects. One in particular, the 2012 water supply impact study. For that study, a version of the hydro period tool was used uh, to identify and quantify different wetland areas uh, that are vulnerable to reduced inundation uh, from different water withdrawal scenarios. Uh, So the project was vetted and overseen by the National Research Council. So the tool found a home with the minimum flows and levels program at the district. And we help evaluate the effects of water level change on fish and wildlife habitat and recreation purposes as well to help determine MFLs. Uh, So what is an MFL? Uh, So in Florida, the law requires the state water management districts or the Department of Environmental Protection to establish minimum flows and levels, or MFLs, uh, for different aquifers surface water courses, and other surface water bodies to basically identify the limit at which further withdrawals would be significantly harmful uh, to the water resources or the environment. And at the district, we use a minimum flows and levels priority list and schedule. And we look at this list and schedule, which is updated annually. And it's based upon the importance of different listed waters to the state or region and the existence of potential adverse impacts associated with the water use. So. Five fish and wildlife habitats um, representing different components of Lake Butler, which I'll talk about later, um, were evaluated. Each habitat is um, defined by the area of the lake that has a a specific depth range. And habitat areas were estimated based on a stage area curve developed using the Hydroperiod Tool. So the cool thing is with the Hydroperiod Tool, uh, the effect of bathymetry and water level reduction on habitat area is actually quantifiable. And the tool is also used to evaluate evaluate canoeable areas uh, to assess the effects of water level change, talking about the recreation purposes, that key environmental value. So the objectives of using the hydro period tool for MFLs, the overall objective is balancing multiple demands on water resources. So water management districts, they're directed to consider those environmental values when setting MFLs. So um, typically the district evaluates fish and wildlife habitat, through event-based metrics, but for some lakes, the event-based metrics typically used are not appropriate for uh, different dynamic systems like Lake Butler. So this brought a need for the Hydro tool to be used to help establish MFLs. So where's the tool located? The tool is located in Arc Hydro, uh, in Esri's Arc Hydro Tools Python section under hydraulic and hydrologic modeling. The tool was developed uh, with South Florida Water Management District um, to work with Esri's ArcMap and it functions primarily with a raster grid-based um, representation of a specific environment. So it is an iterative process where elevation values from a bathy digital elevation model uh, are subtracted from an interpolated water surface elevation on a grid um, cell by grid cell basis. And it produces a new raster surface containing elevation or depth of water for each grid cell producing habitat statistics. So with running this tool, we have not been using the interpolation option, but uh, there's just one monitoring point that we've been using for the lakes. And the tool creates a flat pool to represent the water surface elevation. So the district, we had requested Esri to provide consulting services for um, implementation of the tool and the archival framework. So different archival principles and inputs are used such as stage tables, remap tables, uh, monitoring points, and uh, topobathy DEMs and I want to give a shout out to the architect of the tool uh, Dan Jokic of Esri. So pondered depth rasters and water surface elevations are created first, then classified depth rasters are created representing standing water area and then um, a volume table is created illustrating the volume of water at different stages. So after that's created we then create stage versus area spreadsheets and graphics of the results to provide to the MFL team. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about Lake Butler uh, for this case study. Uh, So for Lake Butler specifically, habitat areas were estimated based on stage area curves developed using the tool. Uh, Lake Butler is in Volusia County, Florida. It's a typical sandhill Lake. It has sinkhole features and it's part of the Teresa chain of Lake System. And it's also located in the district's uh, water resources uh, caution area. So Lake Butler was on the MFL's priority water body list and schedule which I talked about before. So minimum levels were needed to be established for the lake system. And to ensure the protection of these environmental functions from significant harm, metrics were developed for Lake Butler. And there are a variety of different wetland communities in the vicinity. So emergent marsh generally extends from the edge of the shore to approximately six feet deep. So a maximum depth of six feet was used as a tool input um, based on the known depth ranges for the species in this community. So the habitat area for all of the five fish and wildlife metrics, um, they all increase with stage, uh, with emergent marsh having the greatest relationship, um, the highest slope. And the canoeable area for Lake Butler was measured as well, um, which is the area of the lake deep enough to canoe or kayak. So a 20 inches or greater metric was used, and that also increased with lake stage. And I'm just gonna talk a little bit about the habitat for sandhill cranes at Lake Butler. So the shallow marshes at Lake Butler, they provide nesting habitat for sandhill cranes and other birds. And the sandhill cranes, they have been observed in the shallow marsh habitats throughout Lake Butler, uh, along with different nests um, in the large emergent marshes. So the average water depths for sandhill crane nesting, they range from approximately 0.5 to one feet. And so this was the depth range that was used for the hydroparital evaluation uh, of this habitat metric. So the MFL's condition equals a 15% reduction in the no pumping condition habitat area. And those areas were based off the hydropair tool. And that's it. So I wanna say again, thank you to Sandra, Andrew, uh, Steven, the geospatial team, the MFL team for all the help and guidance. And you can also contact Sandra or Andrew in the future as well for any MFL needs or assistance.
0: Great, thank you Bakari. Great presentation.
1: Thank you to uh, all of our presenters for uh, taking the time to uh, walk us through those tools. Uh, Really, uh, really great, great content. Thank you for listening to the Ecobot
0: Podcast. On the next episode, we'll hear more from our panel as they answer questions on the wetland data ecosystem. If you like what you heard, take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. If you'd like to learn more about how ECOBOT is helping transform the industry and to see what we can do to help your company, you can find us at www.ecobotapp.com. I'm Jeremy Shavey, and we'll see you next time on the ECOBOT Podcast.